Hey everyone, Dr. B. Happy New Year. Welcome to Ask the Dentist, podcast about functional dentistry. So this may not be the very first podcast you're going to hear in your podcast library. It is the very beginning of January and I am recording it. It is my first podcast that I'm recording of the year. So again, Happy New Year. My staff and I, you know, we we got together at the end of the year and we talked about a lot of things and we talked about what we've done, but also what we want to focus on. And we all agreed that this will be the year of the oral microbiome. And I'll explain that more as we go on. There's a new test a RNA-based test, which is different than all the other previous tests, which are mostly DNA-based. There's a test now where we can actually check on the status of our oral microbiome. So that's exciting news. You know, that leads to better treatment and measuring of outcomes and which indirectly directs treatment. You know, if we if, if a dentist treats you and the outcome is not good, if it's measurably not good and we have that capability, which we do now, then we, we get we get better outcomes because we're not going down the wrong road forever. So again, treating gum disease and decay, it's complicated and it's nice to have this test. You're going to hear a lot more about this test. I actually joined the company in an advisory capacity just to give you full disclosure. I don't usually do that. I stay away from joining. I've been asked many, many times to join so many different companies. And this is now the second company. One was a sleep company about four or five years ago that was later sold to Google. And and I didn't discuss it that much blogging or in my podcast. But this one, again, is so appealing and so interesting and is going to be transforming in establishing the oral microbiome for for all it's due. And that is its importance in overall systemic health. So I'm very excited about that. Again, you're going to hear a lot more about it. I will include a link in this podcast of whatever I can get you just to whet your appetite. And there's more coming on the oral microbiome. It's important. Also, just, just little, little tidbits here, some news. January 18th, by the time you hear this, it'll, it'll already have passed, but we're waiting for a judgment from Judge Chen, a ruling on the fluoride case against the EPA. That's going to be exciting. Hoping that in my lifetime, I see the eradication of fluoride in our water to help protect our children and, and, and adults. I mean, I was exposed to a lot of fluoride as a kid. I grew up in San Francisco, drank the water. <laughs> And even though they claim it's some of the best water in the U.S. from the Sierras, it is. But of course, they add chlorine and they added a lot of fluoride. And that gave me a type 1 fluorosis, a little little white lesions on my teeth, decalcifications, and which probably is one of the reasons that I had to address my sleep, calcification of the pineal gland. And if you don't know what that's about and how to remedy that, if you've been exposed to a lot of fluoride, which most of us have, go to our website. I'll provide the link. And there's a newsletter that hopefully most of you know about. If not, you do now. There's a newsletter that I and my staff write. We try every week. Sometimes we're, we we miss a few weeks. But in that newsletter, you're going to see a lot of studies that refer to issues like what I just referred to, calcification of the pineal gland and how vitamin K2 can reverse that. Too much fluoride can do that. And if you've screwed up your pineal gland, your melatonin excretions are also messed up and that's going to affect your sleep. So stuff like that. Again, wanted to introduce you to our newsletter. It's Mondays with Mark. I encourage you to sign up and subscribe to that. I will provide a link to that. So today 
really excited to start off the year with this topic because it's kind of fits into the realm of a New Year's resolution. And I'm not sure if I, it was a New Year's resolution for me, it was 14, 15 years ago when I made this change in my life, this behavioral change, the one we're going to discuss today, the one that Jenna refers to. She'll ask a question soon. I will post it in just a few seconds. But again, I don't make resolutions, typically New Year's resolutions. I'm making them almost every day. But anyway, this was a big one. And I think you're going to enjoy hearing about how I kicked my sugar habit. And I think this will help all of you. Again, back to that oral microbiome test. I took the test and I was so relieved. I I got a really good score on it. No chance, very little chance of getting cavities or gum disease. And again, that's because I made these changes. So we're going to talk all about this. I'm going to give you more information about how diet and epigenetics affect our oral health, how we can test for it now, get a baseline, and how to make that behavioral change, how to get off of sugar. So Jenna, thanks so much for asking this question. It's a good one. It's a great way to start off 2022. Here we go. Take it away, Jenna. Hi, Dr. V. Thanks so much for your podcast. I always enjoy listening to it. My question is in regards to your most recent podcast on honey and maple syrup. And I would definitely love to hear how you got sugar totally out of your diet. What do you think about things like xylitol and stevia and those type of sweeteners, monk fruit type of thing? If we are going to make something sweet occasionally, is that something that you would recommend using? Thanks so much. Jenna, thanks for asking that question. It's really an important part of the equation. It's easy to say, you know, give up sugar or processed carbs for the betterment of your oral health, but how do, how do we do it? I mean, there's a lot of temptation out there. Our bodies are actually, our tongue, our taste buds are actually geared, especially around wintertime or before wintertime, to really seek out foods, foods that taste sweet. The body says store up for that for the oncoming winter. So let's talk about behavioral management. How did I do this? And then I'll get back to your question about if you do eat sugar, what kind of sugars are good? And I think you referred to it, but this this goes back to another podcast that prompted you to ask this question about maple syrup and honey. And, and, and I'll touch on that a little bit too. But if you want, go back to that episode as well. Sugar is sugar. That's the gist of it. But we'll, we'll talk more about it. So again, behavioral management, let, let's say it's New Year's, you've made the resolution to stop eating sugar in the next coming year. I wouldn't recommend going that route. I would plan it out, have a method, have a methodology, start slowly. But this is how I did it. This is how I manage or change my behavior. And and I've done a lot of research and have been exposed to a lot of neurological courses and forming a habit, that engram, that pattern in the brain of just doing something automatically takes time. Some will say it's 28 days. I think it it varies from person to person based on external factors, but give it a month or two. And if you do it repetitively, maybe it'll stick. So, but there are other factors that will help you make something stick. So here are the basics, the two prime concerns with giving up sugar. One is desensitizing your tongue to that taste of sugar. Let's face it, there are taste buds, very specific part of the tongue that go crazy. Some have compared it to a heroin addiction, cocaine addiction, but 
when they taste that sugar, it is pleasurable and your body automatically wants more. And that's that store up the, the calories and the body fat for winter, which these days is, is a little counterproductive. But so first, that's the first big thing is figuring out how to desensitize the tongue and for, for sugar. I'm going to give you some good tips on that. And number two is removing the desire that behavioral or kind of that psychological need for, oh, I remember how good that tasted. I want more of it. And, and that's, the, that's the behavioral aspect of it, I guess. The, the psycho-behavioral aspect of it is, is that desire for that memory of wanting to eat sugar. And, and again, let's use that analogy of drug addiction. You know, there's a physiological addiction, and there's also that that psychological addiction. So, and don't, you know, take that lightly. Researchers in, you can read Gary Taub's book on sugar. I mean, it is similar to a drug addiction. I'm, I'm not going out on a limb by using that analogy. And again, these taste buds are designed to crave sugar. And especially around certain times of year, maybe winter time is not the best time to give up on sugar. Maybe summer is the best time and then ease your way into winter. And by then you've, you've, created some habits. So when the desire gets even greater. So this is how I did it. So think of those two points, desensitizing the tongue, just the taste buds and dealing with addressing that desire for sugar, the memory of how pleasurable it was to taste that. So this is how I did it. And again, behavioral management always works better if you keep it simple, doable, keep it doable. So very simple steps, nothing complicated. Because then it's easy to say, oh, this is too complicated. I'll, I'll do this some other time. For example, one of the things a dentist is typically involved in, in helping people change their behavior, is to, is to help them floss and brush. And, and my method there is, for someone who's very resistant to just flossing every day, is I'll ask them to floss once a day. This is what I would tell my patients. For example, if it's a guy who likes Monday night football, now it's you've got other options, Sunday night football, pick that night and floss before or during the football game just tie it to a to something that you're you're able to sit down relax and and pick up floss and do it then and only do it once a week or floss one area of the mouth one tooth and i know that after you get into the into the kind of routine of it you're going to want to do more that's how these things work so and that has worked in the past for me for even the resistant flossers and brushers again complicated or daunting methods and and high expectations that's daunting that will not affect change so be careful of that so here are the things that address point one and two desensitizing the tongue to sugar and removing the desire for that pleasurable flavor of sweetness and that is and i'll just run through them and then elaborate on each of them becoming fat adapted that's huge that makes you resistant to one and two Working on your sleep, I'll talk more about that. That also makes you very resistant to one and two, the desensitization of the tongue and that desire of remembering how pleasurable it was to eat sugar. So fat adapted, that's a a kind of a diet modification. Sleep, going to a paleo diet, again, that is that fat adapted, that, that keys into fat adapted. I'll explain that more. And then, and this is really important, this may not seem a big thing, but this kind of finishes the top three of the list. It it kind of completes it and fine tunes it. That is finding a substitute 
for that after meal snack when your blood sugar level is high and you're craving more sugar, finding a healthy substitute. If you have that substitute, you've identified it and it's pleasurable to you, but it's better than the one that you were eating with more sugar in it, then you've substituted that after dinner snack or, or even before dinner snack. Whenever you crave sugar, you're looking for a Snickers bar or even a sports bar these days are loaded with sugar. So those are the four things I'm going to talk about. And I, I hope this works for you. It worked for me. So let me give you a, a just a little context here. So I had a sugar habit. My mother would bake cookies for me. My wife then baked cookies for me. That's how I got through dental school. If I needed energy or needed to stay up late or get through the day, I'd, I'd have cookies or you know, chocolate bars, you know, pastries, that was my go-to. And when you're young, you know, it's seemingly it, it doesn't really affect you. You don't gain a lot of weight in the beginning, and it does give you energy, albeit very short-term energy. In dental school, a, a lot of people were taking caffeine, of course. I don't drink coffee, but caffeine was really essentially the drug of choice to to be attentive and stay awake and, and burn the midnight oil to be able to do that. Uh, of course, people were taking Alderol, you know, a, a stimulant ADHD medication. They were getting that on the black market and using that. So, so sugar is that. It can be, and it is very addictive. And that's kind of where I came from. Of course, it was always a high-quality cookie with butter instead of hydrogenated oils. I tried to keep it healthy, and but nonetheless, it was sugar. So, But of course, as you get older, you tend to crash after those sugar highs, and that gets to be a little bit more complicated, and the timing is, is complicated. And when you exercise, you want to be able to mountain bike or ski all day without having to always plan that that sugar meal or that snack to keep you going. And and I, I really, again, always picking healthy snacks, but, but was addicted to that kind of metabolic ener energizing, I mean, or, or refueling if you, if you want to call it that. And, and really it, it wasn't working. Plus I was slowly gaining weight. And of course you get brain fog, you get tired, you don't sleep well when you start eating in, in that, in that pattern. So I realized that that had to change, but it really was a website called Mark's Daily Apple. And I want to give, he's one of my favorite influencers. He was one of the first. I think he's one of the most honest and most helpful. Mark Sisson, many of you will know who he is and, and have referred to that website. But the term, and I was reading this and it really clicked for me. The term fat adapted, that's where I first ran into that term. And he's an athlete, very much like I am, but he had things under control. He, he, I think he's 10 years older than I am and he's in fabulous shape. And I looked at that and I said, oh my God, that's what I want. That's what I've been looking for. So that's where I came across the term fat adapted. And fat adapted, having read it, and I'll explain why, I knew then that that would solve my sugar sugar addiction because it was a it was addressing the root cause of why I was always choosing sugar to help energize me during the day. So Mark Sisson is an amazing man. I, I like everything he does. I think he is one of the original and one of the most noble health influencers out there. So if if you haven't looked at his website or or read what he writes about, I would recommend it. Again, I will include a link for that. So anyway, so fat adapted. What does that mean? Fat adapted 
and I'll give it to you in a nutshell, it's, yes, it is paleo, it is keto in a way, but it's more of a, it's more of a way to fuel your day by burning fat instead of carbs. So again, in a nutshell, if you burn carbs, you're going to burn through it in 20 to 30 minutes, your insulin levels will go up, your body overreacts to the sugar, you do get a moment of you know, short-term moment of energy, but on the other end, you're tired and you feel like napping, and especially as you get older. But if you burn fat, you don't get those ups and downs, and that's really where I wanted to go. So I changed my diet. It was a, essentially a paleo diet, a lot of protein, a lot of fat. There was a point in my time when I was a vegetarian, which, of course, had a lot of carbs in it. So I, I really flipped that over and went in a month I was craving fatty foods like butter, bacon, meat, and, and vegetables, uh, but I had given up carbs. And I mean, that, that was premeditated and it was difficult, but I would eat dark chocolate on a daily basis. And I'll explain why I said that. That was my substitute. But the dark chocolate that I was used to eating was 10 to 12 grams per serving of sugar typically. And, and that, that really was making it difficult to be completely fat adapted. But once I was craving the right foods and eating that kind of food, the food that our ancestors essentially ate, the cravings for sugar seemed to go away because I was burning fat at that point. I also was losing weight and I was also gaining muscle mass for the same amount of exercise that I was doing. So that was a good thing. The other thing, I'm going to come back to fat adapted. But the other thing that I had to address was my sleep. 12, 15 years ago, I came to the realization that I wasn't sleeping well. I had interruptions in my sleep due to a collapsing airway. I think it was my late 40s, early 50s, moderate sleep apnea. And the reason I bring that up is because if you're not sleeping well, guess what? You are going to crave carbs. You are going to have this, just this crazy desire to eat sugar and carbs and croissant and baked goods and 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 energy bars that have a lot of sugars in them. And, and that's not a good thing, obviously, because you can't be fat adapted if you're eating that kind of food. You've got to cut out the carbs to be fat adapted. Short story here or explanation, if you're not sleeping well, your ghrelin and your leptin hormones, these are hormones that are responsible for appetite and being satisfied, those go out of control. And if those are out of control, you really won't have any control over your, over your desires and your appetite and what you want to eat, your choices. So first I had to fix my sleep. Once I was able to have zero interruptions per hour, that's another story. I wrote a book about that called The Eight-Hour Sleep Paradox. I'll link to that. But that really helped me with the ability to make changes in my diet, eat more protein, more fat, and slowly well, if you call 30 days or even 15, 20 days later, the cravings for sugar, they didn't go away completely, but they certainly were a lot easier to deal with. So being fat adapted and burning fat instead of carbs is, is really was the turning point for me. And, and again, I was raised with breakfast as being the most important meal, you know, eat, eat lots of toast and cream cheese and have orange juice. These are all loaded with glucose and sugar. Breakfast wasn't even necessary. Later, we found out through intermittent fasting. I really was never that hungry in the morning anyway, especially after I became fat adapted. And then on the backside, inversely, my sleep got better because my blood sugar levels weren't going up and down while I was in deep sleep. I was able to go longer without eating, which inherently will help your sleep. So that 
fat adapted, that state of being fat adapted helped me on many fronts, but it certainly helped me on the, on the appetite front. In other words, my cravings went away and it was easier to say no to a snack or something sugary because I really didn't need the energy. It wasn't the fact that I was full. It was that I just didn't feel like I needed that pickup or that, that quick few bites to, to give me more energy. Again, I was sleeping better and I had the energy was more constant and well-regulated because I was burning fat. I also was raised, and, and, and I'm speaking of my scientific background, my training in healthcare is that the energy, that the brain needs carbs. And again, Mark Sisson set me straight on that. The, the brain works great in ketones, uh, also on fat and, and protein. It, it works fine. In fact, arguably it works better. You can think better, clearer, less brain fog, and, and just kind of a more constant level of cognitive ability is present when you are fat adapted. So that, that's a very light explanation of what fat adapted is. But if you can work your way to that, it could be a whole 30 diet. That's another way to go. Read what Mark Sisson says about being fat adapted. That's going to set the stage in a big way and make sure your sleep is, is good, is, is adequate, not adequate, but is not a problem that there are no apneas that you're not tired in the morning looking for a quick snack in the morning just to, to pick you up, including caffeine, I guess, but caffeine is not a carbohydrate. But if you're craving caffeine first thing in the morning, that means you're pretty tired. That means also you're going to be craving a croissant with your coffee. Look at, look at what he wrote uh, about being fat adapted. You could just go right to the Whole30 diet for a month and right away we can step into the next stage of preventing you know, those desires for uh, carbs. And, and that's what I'm gonna talk about next. All right, so I took care of my sleep. I worked on learning how to become fat adapted. My athletic stamina and ability improved. My desire to eat snacks went down. It was easier to say no. But occasionally there was this craving for the flavor, not necessarily the energy, but the flavor. Th those are those taste buds that I was talking about earlier that, that we, we have ingrained in us, ancestrally speaking, as a protective mechanism. And that is that if you can find the sweets, and back then it was very difficult, now it's everywhere. So that has kind of backfired on us, that, that evolutionary need to pack on the weight before winter comes or before a, a period of famine or, you know, availability, a low availability to food. And of course, that's backfired on us because it's we don't have to hunt for food anymore. It's it's all we have to do is earn an income, go down and pick it up, and it's always available. It's very easy to get, and typically it's very processed. So those taste buds have really played a cruel kind of a cruel joke on us, and and that is that it is backfired. It's making us all very very fat. We're over prepared for the winters, and and that's not a good thing. So. So how did I get rid of that? I mean, this is not seeking energy. I was getting my energy by being fat adapted. That's where the substitutes come into play. And I'm a big chocolate fan, but I worked my way into dark chocolates, although a lot of dark chocolates still are very high in sugar content. I kept sampling a lot of different chocolates, kept looking, and I found two chocolates that tasted sweet to me. And again, as you stop eating sugary foods, when you do eat sugar, you're not as desensitized to it. In other words, in other words, uh, when you have the sugar, it tastes incredibly sweet to you. If you eat it every few hours, then it just doesn't. It, it, you're you're oversensitized, I guess. 
and then you lose you lose all reason as to what is sweet and what isn't. And so I found these two substitutes. I'm going to link to it. One's a Lydia's chocolate bar. I think it's made in Arizona. The other one was a Chocolita bar. Again, these are both female-owned businesses. Really low in sugar. That one's out of also out of Arizona. Both are out of Arizona, Sedona, and they tasted sweet to me. And and again, my reference for what was sweet was changing, but it was enough to kind of address that that wanting something sweet without really raising my blood sugar level and without really being sweet. One of these bars, I think, has about a gram and a half per serving. It's dark chocolate, but it doesn't really taste as bad as you would expect, uh, dark chocolate would, ex- you know, would expect. So those substitutes really got me through that period of time where I had that habit of where I ate a big meal, big fatty meal, and I still wanted a little sweet afterwards. I would go to that and, and then slowly wean myself from that because it was easier to do. So again, a little bit at a time, finding the substitutes, eating a paleo diet, fixing my sleep, becoming fat adapted. Yeah, I know what you're thinking now. I said at the beginning of this episode that for it to work, for behavioral management to work, you have to keep it simple. Okay, it's not sounding as simple as you would think, but again, just take it a little bit at a time. First, work on on a Whole30 diet, do that for a month, find the substitutes, hopefully your sleep is already in place, become fat adapted, and then this will all fall into place. It becomes much easier. I think my point is, is that if you just give something up cold turkey, it's not going to work. It's going to become so difficult that you're going to fall off the wagon and you're going to have that croissant or that cookie and it's going to be that much difficult. So that much more difficult. Anyway, I'm going to link to those chocolate bars. A lot of people have have asked me what those bars are. I've I linked them before. I linked to them before on a podcast I did on breaking the sugar habit. I forget where where who that was, which podcast that was. But I will list them again, and these are pretty readily available. You may have to hunt them down. You can always have them shipped to your door. Unfortunately, then you've got a whole case of them sitting in the in the cupboard. But I, I think that is a good way to go. Find a substitute. See, I would not eat fruit as your substitute. I think that has just too much sugar in it. You really have to count the number of, of grams of sugar. And if you can eat less than 10 or 20 grams of sugar per day, and you're enjoying your paleo meals, you're going to have great health. You're going to be able to lose weight. You're going to have lots of energy, and you will not be always seeking that sugar high. You will be able to overcome that, and it will be a lot easier. So what I'm saying is that you have to set yourself up for success. You have to address all those issues or or those situations by going back, finding out what the root cause is. I've just told you what the root cause is of this desire to eat. And that is because metabolically, we're setting ourselves up to crave this short-term energy input via sugary snacks. And again, you may have to tune up your sleep to do that. If your sleep is fine, you should be okay. So anyway, that is my way of quitting sugar. It took me a long time. I'm so glad I did it. It allowed me to give up lots of other things. I, I would drink red wine every night, a glass of red wine with a meal. And now I drink maybe once a week. And it's again, it's just for fun. The taste of sugar, the taste of alcohol. Again, I drink very dry wines. But I, I have a new appreciation for taste of foods because sugar tends to overwhelm that. And if you're eating a lot of sugar, 
you're just not going to appreciate food in its natural state, like butter, bacon, even fermented bean curd. All of these foods have a really unique texture and taste, and sugar really ruins it. Sugar is just loaded up because the food corporations know that it is addictive and it will make you come back and buy more. It's also a great way to preserve food. It prolongs the shelf life of foods. So, so stay away from sugar. It's bad on so many fronts, certainly in, in oral health. Back to that bristle test that I took, my scores were exceedingly low in terms of bugs or a dysbiosis that would predispose me to decay or gum disease. And I really attribute that not to my brushing and flossing, but to my lifestyle, to my diet, and to my lack of desire or that need to find that sugar high or that taste, that wonderful taste of sugar. So now to address the last part of your question, you mentioned xylitol, sorbitol, substitute sugars. I would stay away from that. That may surprise you. I think once you're kind of off the sugar habit, you will taste a sweet product like at a bakery or a cookie, and you will be amazed to at the at the degree of dislike that you may experience because it's too sweet. All you taste is sugar. For example, in a chocolate chip cookie, there's butter, there's dark chocolate, there's certainly flour, but you, you don't taste any of that in a cookie that's made in today's world because it's loaded with sugar. So you may have to bake things on your own if you want a snack or a treat. I would use monk fruit. It, it, it works pretty well. It bakes well. The occasional treat is fine. I wouldn't deny yourself of that. Around Christmas, I like to eat Leibkuchen out of New York. I'll link to that if you're interested. It's incredible. I, I, I have a few of those because I, I grew up with a, a German father, and, and he would have that. He would always serve that around Christmas. It is a low-sugar food. If you consider 10 grams per serving low, I don't. My rule of thumb is between 1 and 5 grams if it's a sweet. If you're eating paleo, there's no sugar. So that, that's easy. But if you're having a snack, try and keep it below five grams per serving. That may be a little bit strict for most of you, but I think you can you can get there eventually. Don't use xylitol. Don't use sorbitol. Don't use the artificial sugars. Don't use artificial sweeteners like saccharin. All of those things are terrible. They create other issues and problems. If you're going to have a sugary snack, if you're fat adapted and you basically don't eat sugar on a daily basis... One little treat, if you're over at a friend's house, will not harm you and, and really enjoy it. The only problem is, is that you may find it to be too sweet. I'm pretty repulsed by many sweet products, the things that I used to eat every day. I'm shocked as to how I respond to them now. So if I do have a, a sweet product, I, I will go to a, like a micro bakery and I'll make sure it's, you know, that I can taste all the flavors that are in that product other than just sugar. So I'm, I'm basically a sugar snob now. I think you can be too if you follow kind of my regimen there that I just described. I think it works. I have probably talked to easily two, three hundred people that have actually used that method, and they all agree that it works. You just have to give it time, at least 30 days. So I hope I answered your question. It's not as easy maybe as I painted it, but if you take it one step at a time, set yourself up for success. Try, try just being fat adapted at first. Just start with that. Just do that one thing. Do a Whole30 diet. That's even tougher, I think, uh, for some. But if you can just get your, your body into a state of burning fat, this issue will be so much easier to deal with. That is the crux of what I'm trying to say here. Also, if you do have sugar, one last thing I'd like to add. 
If you do have that occasional snack, have it after a big fatty meal or high protein meal. That takes down the glycemic index of that food. If you're going to have a snack, let's say you're passing by a bakery, you, have, you haven't eaten anything, don't just have that snack. Eat like a hard boiled egg before that or, or you know, a piece of something. I, I love cans of uh, white Spanish uh, anchovies. Uh, that's a great lunch. That really detunes my, my desire to have sweet things. So anyway, I've gone on long enough, a little longer than I thought I would. I hope that this is helpful to many of you. It is important as a dentist, especially as a functional dentist, to promote and to counsel patients as to sugar addiction. It is bad overall for us systemically. It is certainly a big factor in poor oral health, again, then later to systemic health because the two are connected. But if you want good oral health, if you want to score well on a bristle, on an oral microbiome test, you really have to set yourself up for success by eating well. Those are the epigenetics of oral health. It is our diet. There are so many processed foods that really are detrimental to our overall health as well as for our oral health. So again, I hope this was of some help. I will put all these links in there, try it, and I would love feedback. If you think this is a great thing and it works, get back to me. My email address is mark at askthedentist.com. I would love to hear from you. I'd love to hear about your success as well as failures. If, if you think there's anything that may have worked better for you, I would love to hear about that as well. So anyway, that's how to crack the addiction to sugar. It is an addiction and it is something that we all have to deal with in modern society. Thank you, Jenna, for asking that question. Definitely close to my heart. It was an issue that I had to deal with personally. And, and I know a lot of us, it, it's an issue for all of us. Again, there's just so many foods around us that are not good for us, that are so easy to get or are served up for free at parties and Baked goods, we're rewarded with baked goods. Our children, we reward our children with baked goods and sweets and candy. So, so definitely an issue. So I hope, I hope my way of beating that habit, that sugar habit, helps. There are a few other things that I'll just throw out there. If you're craving something sweet, drink a good glass or two of water with minerals in it first. There's a lot of evidence that that will help, that we're actually not craving sugar necessarily. Try that. Also, rinse your mouth out with a super saturated solution of salt water. This is getting out there, but try it. It can work. That can also desensitize your, your taste buds, your, your sweet taste buds. So try, try those methods. I hope it works for you. It's, it's one of the biggest changes you can make in your life for overall you know, mental and physical well-being. I, I'm not exaggerating. It's huge. So definitely try that. I'm looking forward to another year of episodes of this podcast, Ask the Dentist. Keep asking your questions. There is a backlog. So I, I am picking certain questions over others. Try and keep them short if possible and, and very vertical. In other words, to just one point. Uh, I'm getting some questions that have multiple questions in them. That's more difficult to answer in this medium, in this limited short concept of a short podcast so that you can consume it in under a half hour. So that's difficult. I try and keep it under a half hour if possible. If you have any questions, please go to speakpipe.com slash dentist. If you have any questions about sugar in general, how bad it is for oral health, you know, what the paleo diet is and how it does help you 
with sugar addiction, go to our website. We've, we've, we've blogged about it several times, askthedentist.com. And if you're looking for a functional dentist, which I haven't talked about much in this episode, we're going to talk about a lot this year. It's, it's an important year for being able to see a functional dentist because there are a lot of things you won't be able to get. For example, you, you may not be able to get your oral microbiome screened through this test I was referring to in this episode, Bristol. You really want to see a functional dentist, someone who's looking at the bigger picture, looking upstream, like what is your oral microbiome? Where is it before they start treatment? So that directory is at askthedentist.com slash directory. And one last thing about that test. I'm going to be talking a lot more about Bristol. This is, this is a great company. They, they really are on the right track and they, they've, got, they've, got, they've really got something, something that can help dentists and help patients achieve better oral health. And again, to have numbers and data points is so important. We really didn't have that up until this point. So I will definitely be talking more about that. After all, I've named this year as the year of the oral microbiome, me and my team, and we definitely mean to deliver on that. Again, thank you so much for listening. Happy New Year. Look forward to talking with you and answering your questions a lot more this year and for many years beyond this. Thank you again for listening. Take care and be safe. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a dentist, doctor, or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for help in your journey, seek out a qualified medical practitioner. If you're looking for a functional dental care provider, you can visit askthedentist.com directory and search or find a dentist database. It's important that you have someone in your corner who's trained, is a licensed healthcare practitioner, and can help you make changes, especially when it comes to your health.